Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company on a Wednesday. Battleborn Broadcast Center is the spot. Adam Candy is with us. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota studios. Candy, how you doing, buddy? Cofield, let's rip. Let's rip. It's party time. Let's go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's do this. What's the party time for? Uh, I, this is my time of year, man. I, I, I love it. The weather starts to cool off a little bit. Basketball's coming. Postseason baseball's here. We're in the middle of football. Like I know people have April or October. They kind of pick one or the other as your best sports month. But like this is the one for me. This is what I love. And you really do carve out time to watch baseball? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I watch. Uh, and especially now that uh, the postseason is here and I have many different ways to get my heart broken by the Yankees. I don't know. Is it going to be a blowout loss? Are they going to blow a lead late in the game? So many different ways to have unnecessary stress in my life. All right. Well, we'll see what the schedule looks like uh, once we start rolling out for the MLB playoffs come Friday, October 21st, because we got concert tickets right out of the gates here. Scorpions, special guest White Snake, Friday, October 21st, the MUA. Mick Ultra Arena, AXS.com is where you can get your tickets. Ari's got two tickets right now to the Scorpions with White Snake, two tickets. Mick Ultra Arena, AXS.com. 364-1100, caller seven. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So really interesting event last night over in Henderson that I don't really know if a ton of people knew about it outside of the media that was covering it. We had two of the best prospects in the world for the NBA playing at Dollar Loan Center. I'm not going to say where you live, but uh, you could probably walk to it. Um, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Uh, wasn't much of a crowd. We'll get into that a little later. But my Lord, the show that was put on by these two guys. Tell people about the two prospects and especially one of them who I'm not sure if he's 6'4 or 7'5". Yeah, Victor Wenbanyama is unbelievable i we talk all the time and get hyped up oh this guy's great this guy's great he's the next this he's the next that imagine if you took Giannis and put a guard skill set on him and that's what this seven foot five guy has to go with it's unbelievable he is a generational talent that you're going to see widespread tanking across the nba to get and in any other year Scoot Henderson, who, by the way, you're going to have the opportunity to see all year long. You're going to be able to see him with the G League Ignite all year here in the greater southern Nevada area uh, is one of the best point guard prospects that we've ever seen. Like this guy has the Kyrie handles, the John Wall kind of scoring ability. Like it's just going to be fun to watch these two be the two of the best basketball players we've seen come along in a long time. Victor W. Vic W. I got to practice the the last. Yeah, one. we might want to stick M with that. Ben Yama. When Ben Yama. When Ben Yama. Okay. Uh, Thirty-seven point seven three pointers, five blocks. He's eighteen years old, and as I said, throwing it to you, he looks like he plays at six five. I've heard a bunch of different heights. I saw Arash, uh, our buddy in L.A., had a photo of him at his hotel, and you know, amongst mere mortals, 
my lord. He looks tall, but he could be what seven one seven two seven three seven four, and he's got two guard skills. Some of the highlights last night, and it was a big topic on Twitter, were simply amazing. And a lot of it was defensively. The range he covers, Candy, uh, in the lane, especially from the weak side, was outrageous. It's an eight-foot wingspan. Just the arms alone. It's an eight-foot wingspan with the guy being seven-foot-five. By the way, you mentioned the facts that he had the seven three-pointers and the five blocks. In NBA history, there has been one player to do that. Do you know who that player is who did that most recently in NBA history? When someone had seven threes, seven made, threes and five and blocks, five blocks. Okay, I could I'll, probably I'll, give you a hundred guesses, but I'll make a mainstream guess and go with Kevin Durant. I'll make an offbeat guess to kiss the ass of our locals, and of course, he's one of my favorite players, Chris Wood. I like the Chris Wood. That's actually good. Ari checks in with a Giannis, Danny Green, Danny freaking Green. Wait, what? Five blocks. Five blocks, what? believe it or not. that uh, That's the kind of game that uh, Wenbenyama put up last night. It's it's the handle more than anything else. Like We talk about Chet Holmgren and how much fun it is to watch Chet Holmgren handle the basketball. Chet Holmgren looks like a giant gargoyle with the ball compared to what Wenbenyama is doing, yeah. going between his legs, behind his back, shifting around, and then popping jumpers. I do like that narrative, though. We were all looking at Holmgren as a unicorn at 7-1 with two-guard skills you know, and developing with the, the handle. And it's like, wait, wait, okay. He had one year of people marveling at his outside skills and shot blocking. Uh, now we're going to bring along a guy who's you know seven three, seven four, seven two. Looks like Kareem right now when he was Lou Alcindor at eighteen, but with two guard skills. Yeah, it's it's unreal. And and all of this all year, you know what this is going to do? All of this is going to overshadow Scoot in such a way that we're going to forget just how good. This kid's going to be like this kid is going to be absolutely outstanding. It's ball on a string. It's get to the hole and he's strong too. Like he's not just some frail little thing. He's going to get knocked around the lane. He went right at your boy, Victor W. And that's takes some guts. 200 NBA representatives in Henderson yesterday. It was an evening game. Uh, media reps from four different countries. I did see someone outside the market say, because it was on TV as well, surprised the attendance wasn't stronger, must have been poorly promoted. And I kind of wanted to build on that point because they have a noon game tomorrow. They're going to play again at the DLC in Henderson right there off of Green Valley Parkway near Green Valley Ranch. Did you see promotion around this event? Yeah, I, I, I did, but I also don't think it really matters all that much. Like okay. The game's on TV. If the game's on TV, people are going to choose TV. That's it. I don't think that it's something that is going to motivate the average person to say big NBA prospect out at the dollar loan center. Well, I hope the G league does it up for promotion with the ignite. Cause I think it's going to be a really good product. And obviously you just mentioned the other guy, uh, it featured last night who could be the number two pick in the draft. Scoot Henderson going to be here. Scoot. Yeah, I got that right. Um, yeah. is going to be, I'm, I'm Henderson. Henderson, uh, is going to be here, you know, all season long. So we think, um, so I, I hope people get out there and watch it. They need to. And I realize that, look, I get that we're at a sports overload now in Vegas. Like for so many years, it was like we don't have anything and everything yeah. like the silver streaks that comes to town. We try to get excited about. But like this is the real thing. Like this is the real thing with the NBA putting this uh, this developmental team here in Vegas. And just when you think about even what's out at the DLC alone between the the uh, the horsies and this it's pretty nice i feel like 
And you're a big golf guy. I don't know. Are you going out the next couple of days to go see uh, Shriners? No. I, I've I, Since the days that I had to cover this tournament, yeah. I have never gone out as a fan. But, uh, you know, I know it's... That, look, they've made a lot of positive changes. That, and the, the PGA Tour year changing the way that it did makes it a much better tournament, too. Adam Candy's with us. It's Cofield. Well, the other big story yesterday... Uh, and some people have turned it now into some sort of negative story. It was Aaron Judge hitting number 62. Uh, the old man, the legend, John Sterling, was on the call. Let's fire this. Here's the 1-1. One, one. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. There you go. I thought he was going to throw in the all rise right there, but we'll play the rest of the call because it was a pretty long call. John Sterling nailed it. Very good call, I think, right? Uh, John's been kind of panned at times as a, an older broadcaster kind of hanging on, but I thought he did a really good job there capturing the moment. 83 Just years old. Just think of it. Three. Go ahead, Candy. 83 years old. I, just, I was just throwing that in as before we went to the next one. Yeah. Fire the next one. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run. The most home runs any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. Case closed. All right, Candy, what did it mean to you? What did that moment mean to you? What does this season meant to you? You're a Yankees fan. The significance of hitting 62 bombs in 2022. Fire away. It's not what everybody thinks it's going to be. I'm not going to fire off and give you a whole bunch of anger about Barry Bonds or PEDs or Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire. I don't need any of it because this matters more to Yankee fans than it does to anybody else. This is about the Yankees. This is about the fact that the record goes back to Ruth and Tamaris. Nobody cares about the American League record. Cut-ins on ESPN. That was crazy. Why? Why? Does anybody know who had the best scoring season in NBA Western Conference history? Who the league <laughs> scored in NHL Eastern Conference history? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. We're talking about a single league. Barry Bonds has the record. Whether you like it or not, Barry Bonds has the record. And if you think Aaron Judge is clean, awesome. But we have no idea. We don't. We never will. We don't know who's clean. We don't know who's not. If you talk about records from the 70s, you're talking about greenies. If you're talking about records from the 30s, you're talking about the Negro Leagues and the fact that black players weren't in the league. There's a way to dirty up any of this. So what does it mean to me? It means he broke the Yankee record, which is really cool to break the Maris record and to have the Maris family there. That part is awesome. But more than that, come on. He's 11 short of the Major League record. Yeah, I think the fact that it got kind of negative... Uh, the last two weeks about a guy having a great season that there was a lot of snarkiness kind of sucks because you know you lose out on a lot of the celebration of judge because people are arguing what's the real record is it judge or is it bonds and you know one of our buddies dustin swedelson over at vsen who's a funny guy uh tweeted how aaron judge now stands alone in seventh place most home runs in a single season some other seventh ranked single season records drew Brees with 46 touchdowns in 2011 manute bowl a seventh place all timer for blocks in a season with 345. And who will ever forget? Seventh most saves in a season in the NHL, Felix Potvin. 
96, 97, all around the same level of attention that Aaron Judge got. You see what I'm doing? I'm laying it on thick there, and that that blows. But a lot of it was created by Maris Jr. because he keeps tweeting out, hey, the clean home run king. Like, there's there's no need for it. That's It's just illegitimate, too. I don't care... I don't care about the PEDs when it comes to this. It's the same reason I don't care about the PEDs when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Let them all in. Show me how you can prove anybody from a previous generation was clean. Show me what they weren't weren't doing. We just happen to know about this. This is beating ourselves up for not knowing about it sooner. That's all it is. It's no need to do this now. Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs. It's the American League record. Cool. That the Cool. That is ostensibly cool. But we don't need to make it an argument about Barry Bonds. We don't need to make it an argument about, oh, well, how much farther would any of those home runs have gone if he wasn't on PEDs? Barry Bonds was the best player in baseball before he put the cream or the clear anywhere near his body. By the way, for the Hall of Fame voters, the writers who are around, and I'll call the steroid era 82 into the 2010s, because like I say all the time, I still believe that you started seeing some enormously... Uh, built players in 82 and 83 were like, whoa, that's a lot of weightlifting, huh, fella? Um, that whole era, you have a bunch of these writers, hundreds of them who were covering it. Why didn't they investigate and unearth the cheaters? You had the ability to now make up for it by being all bitter and revi- trying to revise history. And, you know, I knew, really, if you knew, why didn't you talk about it? Because I was on Sports Talk Radio in the mid-90s. And most people were along for the ride. And if you brought up, like Rick Riley is kind of a creep, but Rick Riley did push the narrative with Sammy Sosa, you know, around the time that, you know, the the bombs were going through the freaking roof past 60. And a lot of people crapped on him. Now, I think he did it more for a troll because, like I said, he's a creep. But at least he stepped out of line. And I'm trying to think of there was an AP writer who it was like Steve Dillbeck or something. My memory from 24 years ago isn't great. Maybe I'm right on that one. But I remember him getting a rash of crap because he saw the creatine up in the locker of Mark McGuire, and everyone's like, oh, you know, basically everyone's like, oh, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Typical media, don't ruin it. And now all the other guys who stood around that locker, nutless, and didn't say anything on radio or write about it, now, now, they're, now they've got the hammer. Oh, now we're going to penalize McGuire and Bonds and Clemens and, and even guys that we just suspect. And then and the other one is have the sack. Have the sack to actually – portray a picture where it was only the hitters taking roids like bonds wasn't crushing home runs off of pitchers who were hopped up on something throwing five miles an hour faster and you know having multiple seasons of durability when before they were on whatever they were on allegedly they couldn't finish the season uh i i i truly hate doing this like i i hated up until about uh probably i stopped doing it about 10 12 years ago I don't ever want to talk about Pete Rose and gambling, but every once in a while, someone gets me and I flip out and I'm like, I'm doing the same G damn material from 10 years ago. And when I start doing this and that's what Maris jr. Got, you know, he, he got it going some other old timers. Oh, the real home run. Ca- I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Candy. Don't make me do this. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN, Las Vegas. Dubon waiting on the 12th pitch. And here it is. Swung on, popped up, shallow center, coming on Marsh, on the run. And the Phillies, for the first time in 11 years, will head back. 
to the postseason. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Baseball playoffs on the way. And I hate to tell the audience, on, uh, on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you get baseball on the show. Monday, Thursday, Friday, well, we'll see. We'll see what's going on, how exciting it is, because I believe football has just overtaken baseball, even with the tremendous achievements this year. We were just talking about Aaron Judge hitting 62. Albert Pujols coming back from the dead, uh, rolling out of the grave. How many more obnoxious statements can I make to hit 700? And then, of course, maybe the most impressive guy in all of baseball is the pitcher-hitter, Shohei Otani. So, and we've got unbelievable teams, Dodgers, Going past 110 wins, the up and down Yankees. I think the Astros are one of the best organizations in all of baseball. And then teams like the Phillies are interesting. Uh, they have one of the best players in baseball, Bryce Harper. And I guess, Candy, that right there was some vindication for pulling the plug early. I didn't like it. I thought it was disrespectful. I thought it was a knee-jerk reaction going to Robbie Thompson from Joe Girardi. But it worked. They made it. And I'll be honest, I had no idea – I think of the Phillies as a pretty good organization. I didn't know their playoff drought was this long. Well, their playoff drought is long, but also beyond that, we were very close to not having this redemption story. The Phillies were choking it away down the stretch and managed to pull themselves together in large part because the Brewers also choked in a huge way and fell about 12 games from where they were. So good on them and good on Robbie Thompson, who by all accounts is a great guy and by all accounts, the Phillies needed a breath of fresh air, whether it was right or not for Girardi, they needed the uh, the diamond producing ass of Joe Girardi to be gone from that clubhouse because everywhere he goes, what follows is tension. And so the Phillies hopefully at least can enjoy a run to the postseason here with Bryce Harper because Robbie Thompson seems to have gotten him a lot looser. By the way, did anyone take the break to look up my weird recall, which I still think I'm wrong on, of the AP writer who called out the creatine jar in McGuire's locker. We got to find that. I want, I want confirmation on that one. And I'll give you another throwback comment that I know I'm right on. So you just heard that magical moment with the Phillies. And now we're set up with three game series, which are super heated cards, Phillies, guardians, Rays, blue Jays, Mariners, Mets and Padres. And the throwback comment I'm going to reference is Mr. Baseball self-anointed. Well, that was Bob Uecker, but the new one, Bob Costas, said this would all be a disaster with these wild cards. And year to year, and I know I just made the comment four minutes ago that baseball is getting blown away by football, but it's not because they went to extra level of playoffs. It's made the game a ton better. It's made the regular season better, right? Like I think that's really what we're, what we're after here. Now, the owners were after TV money in the postseason. They just want more playoff games in October. And that's fine, whatever. But in the end, when we look at what's going on with the regular season, how many people have tuned out by the time even June gets here with the baseball regular season? And as soon as football starts, it's over. You're playing a fantasy baseball league and a fantasy football league at the same time. You can dominate your fantasy baseball league from about mid-August on because everyone has turned their attention to football. I can't argue with that, right? I can't argue with that. Anything to... Anything to, to get more people interested from the summer on in baseball? When we know you've got like eight organizations that are basically quitting from day one, anything that keeps people on the dance floor, like the fact that the Orioles were in it and actually did a little bit of getting rid of guys and then adding some help 
That was awesome. I mean, if we're going back years, do the Mariners get aggressive at the trade deadline? No. Right? They don't go get Luis Castillo if there's not multiple paths in because they knew that the division was not an option. Houston had already run away and hidden with the division. They have to have the wild card for them to go out and make the big acquisition they did with Luis Castillo. And look, both of these series in the American League, I think, could be highly competitive. What's your favorite series overall? Mets Padres by a long shot. Mets Padres has so much intrigue involved. I mean, look at the Mets after blowing yeah. the East. And oh, by the way, Mets, thank you so much because after the DeGrom injury, I had invested fairly heavily in Braves NL East. So, woo, that was a bit of a sweat. But Mets Padres with no Tatis, a Padres team that had loaded themselves up for this year. Stevie Cohen willing to spend anything for the Mets to win. You're going to get rid of one of the favorites in the National League right from the jump? Yeah, sign me up. What'd you get the Braves at? Uh, plus 150. Okay. Which was not great, but it was my it was minus after DeGrom first went out. Is anyone intrigued by the Guardians and the Rays? I mean, on the street, no. Like, like nobody <laughs> cares about the series, <laughs> right? Tampa yeah, probably I mean, is not. I always think about these like like if you converted it to a football matchup, like yeah. the Browns and the Buccaneers. You're like, yeah, all right, yeah, it's fine. Well, that one's better. That one's better. It is. It's better than this. Well. No, you're like it, if either team scores more than three runs in a game in this series, it's gonna be shocking. Yeah, I also wonder if the Guardians making the playoffs is actually bad for baseball because it kind of gives a nod of hope to teams that don't spend money. They try, but they don't spend money. Uh, I'm waiting maybe next year for the Indians to kind of jump back in and have a real payroll. That that's another that these are these are two really good operations, and I do believe the Rays have to operate on somewhat of a budget. I do not believe the the Guardians do. Uh, but this is a good showdown between teams that have said, hey, we don't have a ton of money. Yay, we still made the playoffs. Yeah, and the Tampa Bay Rays continue to defy logic in doing it year after year. Their best pitcher, Tyler Glass now, didn't get on a mound until the end of September. Shane McClanahan, who was their best pitcher throughout the year, missed months injured. And yet they continue to seemingly go to a 3D printer somewhere and get these guys who throw 99 miles an hour, who's nobody's heard of, and then pitch eight of them in a game, and they win. That is interesting with Glass now. Bringing him back, like, what's his workload? Like, is he just a three-inning guy in the playoffs? Because your future with, you know, a dude who already, you know, is coming off of Tommy John, and his comeback was pretty quick. I wonder how they use him. Well, it's perfect. He's with the right organization to do it. They used him for a yeah. three-inning stint in his first game back, and the Rays are prepared for this. The Rays are the team to pitch him three innings and then unload the bullpen with all the firepower they have. I think I might be rooting for the Rays. I, I like the fact that they've uh, you know, overturned the apple cart by using eight pitchers every game, and the organization is built that way. They're ready to do it. While you know traditionalists want to see starters go seven innings, the Rays are like, no, we're just going to bring in a new power arm uh, you know, basically every five batters, and you're going to deal with it. Not my favorite. You know why I want Cleveland? I want Cleveland for Tristan McKenzie. If you don't know who Tristan McKenzie is, you should look him up. Look up Tristan McKenzie. Guys who look like Adam Candy love the fact that Tristan <laughs> McKenzie is a major league pitcher. He's six foot six and about 112 pounds. He gives all of us hope. Well, you know, I don't agree with that. 
Uh, bring me every Reyes Maranta I can find. <laughs> Rich Garces in the bullpen. <laughs> El Guapo. El Guapo. Giveaway time. Three six four eleven hundred. Eddie Vedder's in town. Lead singer of Pearl Jam. This Friday, Park MGM. We've got tickets. You can grab your own at Ticketmaster.com. Eddie Vedder. This Friday, Ari's got two tickets. Three six four eleven hundred. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Play action fake. Brumfield rolling to the near side. Rolling, rolling, going to keep it. He's at the five. He lunges forward, and he's in for a touchdown. The Rebels get their first touchdown of the game. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Doug Brumfield with the touchdown acrobatic. I feel like we're saying that a lot this year. I want to get to Brumfield here in just a second with Caleb Herring as we're getting ready for UNLV with a 4 and one start to hit the road. In San Jose. Caleb, I don't know if you heard the uh, promo before we came back talking about using the cart. DK Metcalf used the uh, the cart during a game to go to the bathroom. And I was just thinking about uh, the reporting of the injury. Candy, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a poor uh, parabolic Mike person who just got leveled on the sideline. And uh, as it turned out, Caleb, uh, he was okay, correct? Bloody nose. And I reported that the uh, the left ankle looked a little gimpy. You got to have your head on a swivel on the sideline, my friend. Yeah, if you're going to be a spectator in any capacity on the sideline of a football game, it is a must to be on your toes at all times. And you've learned this. You've been down there. You've seen how quickly the action can get up on you on the sideline. If you're not ready, um, injuries are, are a thing. They really do happen. I've seen some people be taken out uh, on the sidelines. Um, Dan Dolby um, over at Learfield, he's actually one of the guys who's who's nimble on the sideline. He's he's coached this adamantly to be aware if you're going to be down there on the field because um, people have been taken out and it, it's no picnic when you get taken out down there. For some reason, the training staff isn't as quick to to assist with bystanders as they are with with injuries on the field. I don't know what that's all about, but you you stand on the sideline with your phone out at your own risk. It, it's yeah. it's dangerous down there. It was on the opposite sideline. So you mentioned the word nimble. So let's make the the transition to what Doug Brumfield is doing, what he's doing at times to escape pressure, and then get into the end zone. He is an acrobatic guy. It's a really interesting discussion that we're having week to week, and I think Arroyo's kind of tired about uh, being asked about it. But remember last year, quarterbacks had trouble finishing the game. So you played the position, man. It, it's tough. You're trying to make plays, but you also don't want to get tackled like you did on the sideline by New Mexico. You're trying to stay safe and make plays. Yeah, there's there's some things you can do about it to prevent it. UNLV's had this problem, not just with Doug, but I think for the last two decades where they haven't started the season and finished the season with the same starting quarterback um, for injury or whatever other reasons may have come up. It, UNLV just hasn't had consistent quarterback play for a long time. So um, for health reasons for Doug, obviously last season, uh, it was the injuries that put him on the sideline. Um, so when you see him you know, making these athletic plays, um, running the ball effectively, getting, you know, lowering his shoulder and trying to fight for extra yards. You're excited on one hand as a football player, as a competitor to say, man, he's doing some special things. You know, he puts himself in some risky situations. I'm, I'm sure he wins some favor with his teammates with doing it. Obviously the fans love to watch it. The reaction of that up and over touchdown dive to, 
give the Rebels their first touchdown to get to Mexico, got all 20,000 at Allegiant Stadium fired up. And those are the kind of things that Doug's able to do with his legs and sparking the offense using his legs. But the risk side of it is always the potential, um, as with anybody, but especially with a guy with of the built of the build of Doug Brumfield. He's very narrow. He's long. He has a, a, a huge uh, target, I guess, uh, a, a target zone on his body to where you can hit him um, and, and make it really hurt and not a lot of cushion for him to absorb those hits. So uh, every time he takes a hit, you kind of hold your breath and say, is that the one? Because uh, if you remember, you know, Fresno State and Arizona State, obviously, uh, when he had the major injury, it, you didn't see necessarily a, a colossal hit or a massive hit that you would have thought uh, would have taken him out. And he's been hit, I th- it, it, at least visually, it looks like he's been hit a lot harder this season, especially that hit on the sideline against New Mexico, where it looked like he got absolutely clobbered. And you, you couldn't help but think that, oh, man, as good as Doug's been this year, he just got knocked out of the game, right? Um, thankfully, he's been able to survive those blows. And I think he's getting better and better as he's taking those shots of really understanding when to try and avoid them. And, and that's a situation where I think he was clearly trying to get out of bounds and trying to avoid the hit. Um, and it still happened anyway. So it, that's the game of football. You see it at every level where the injuries are going to happen and uh, you just try your best to avoid them and do what you can to protect yourself. And in the case of Doug, I think it's been a consistent coaching point all season. Uh, and it will be for the rest of his career to try to protect himself when he can and avoid those big hits because at this point, he's not built to take too many of those. And that's just the reality of the situation. Um, he's got to avoid a lot of those hits and and do his best to protect himself. Caleb, I've seen some research, at least from the NFL level going back a few years, that shows that quarterbacks who run on designed runs tend to get hit less and be less injured, et cetera, versus scrambles. Obviously, the line's not prepared for it in certain cases. The quarterback doesn't know what he's doing sometimes when he gets out there. But in general, when you have a more mobile quarterback like Doug Brumfield, who's kind of used to being out in space, do you feel any more confident? Do you feel a little more comfortable with a guy like him with that skill set, knowing how to handle himself, being a little bit more athletic and being able to potentially, you know, I'm not going to say avoid hits entirely, but avoid catastrophe. Um, I think there's some truth to that. Obviously, guys that are on design quarterback runs are running with more of a purpose and more intention. They're not sitting ducks, so to speak. Um, a lot of quarterback injuries actually happen in the pocket. The most gruesome ones, at least, um, happen when they're trying to do something other than run the ball. They're trying to stand in the pocket, trying to ignore the rush, and then all of a sudden the rush is rolled up on their knees or their ankles or things like that. Um, or as is becoming a more uh, common injury now, that the shoulder roll up when guys are just getting completely dumped onto their shoulders um, in the pocket. But as runners, I think you're more intentional about what you're doing and you're, you have more control over your destiny overall or what who's going to hit you if they're going to get a full hit on you or if you are going to surrender yourself and slide or get out of bounds. There's a lot more you you have control over if you, it's a design quarterback run. Um and with what Doug's able to do, his athleticism, I think, lends him to that a little bit, especially when you have a run game with Aiden Robbins and Courtney Reese that is more than respectable. Um, and his runs come off of uh, so sort of read options or quarterback design runs off of that where he is designed to be wide open with the lead blocker in front. Let's say uh, Shelton Zeon leading the way for him on a wham block. Um, th- those things help. But the problem is, I think a lot of Doug's runs this year have not been necessarily designed quarterback runs. They've been quarterback runs that were good athletic 
plays by Doug, but were because of broken plays. Um, and those are the plays where you see Doug taking the biggest hits, where he scrambles out of a tackle in the backfield, um, looks up and realizes he has 20 yards of space in front of him, um, and takes off running. Um, and those have been the ones where he's, I think, taken the biggest hits. It's not designed run necessarily, but he is intentionally turning into a runner. Um, and it's in those situations where I think he has to mature in a way where, yes, he's he's being intentional about running, um, but he has to pick his spots or where he's going to take hits and where he's going to get down, where he's going to protect himself. And sometimes, honestly, just throw the ball away before you get across the line of scrimmage and before you even put yourself in harm's way because the yards you're going to gain on third and 15 aren't worth it um, as far as the toll it's going to take on your body in the long run. It's a long season, and it's still early in the season. So I think these these hits may start to add up and wear on him a little bit, but I think he's been learning the lessons as things have been going on, how to protect himself as a runner. So Caleb, as I look at the game coming up this week against San Jose State, it feels to me with where the potential is for UNLV in the next few weeks to really establish itself, uh, obviously with the chance to get back to a bowl, but really to go against this tougher part of the schedule and you know show where they are, it feels to me like this week begins with maybe, I don't know, at least since 2019, maybe since 2017, back to the Reno game. Like, it feels like one of the biggest games that the program has had in a very long time. Do you feel that kind of excitement around this week, or is it still too early in the season for it? I think this is probably right around where I would say I feel the excitement for the, the program. And I think, um, especially with the way things have started, I think, uh, Utah State, the win there on the road, it would have been a big win, but I think Utah State obviously is in a different place as a program than we thought they would be coming into the season. Um, so that win maybe lost a little bit of sting as far as what it means for where the program is and how real or how legit they are right now as at 4-1, and 2-0 in conference. Um, I obviously believe that they are a good football team um, and that every, where they are right now is well-deserved. It's not an accident. Um, you know, you can only control so much, you know, who you play is who you play. You just got to do your job against them. This game seems like, at, at least with what the Spartans have done so far this season, um, where they sit in the conference, um, they started off shaky as well, but they sort of found a rhythm here where it looks like at least on the west side of the division, uh, of the conference, uh, that the Spartans and the Rebels have kind of separated themselves. Uh, but, uh, of course, Fresno in that mix as well. But it seems like, uh, these two teams are separating themselves a little bit. So the cream of this season is sort of rising to the top. Um, and these two meeting each other feels like, at least from the Rebels' seat, it feels like the first chance to really say, okay, this is for real this year. It's not a fluke. We're taking the conference by storm, and we're looking to, to, to contend for the title. This game feels like it could mean that. And I, I say that for, for really both teams um, because – uh, it's a tough stretch for San Jose State as well. They have UNLV, and they're going to go right back to Fresno State uh, the following week. So it's a stretch for both teams where they can prove themselves. So, you know, you got UNLV, uh, obviously, with San Jose State, and then leading into Air Force and Fresno. So it's a really tough uh, tough part of the schedule uh, for UNLV also. But I think this is the, the game where I would say if you start off here, if you start with a win here, uh, kind of springboard yourself into that thick part of the schedule, into that tough part of the schedule, I think you at least make a statement and give yourself some more cushion. You you, you move it to 3-0 if you're UNLV in conference. Um, you move that that bar a little bit farther for people to have to come get you and you to really be the lead horse in the conference 
uh, on on your side of the division. So uh, I, th- I think it is a big game. I think it does have that feel. Um, and we'll see if UNLV, as a slight underdog, I believe, the last we checked, a uh, slight underdog coming into this game, has what it takes to prove that this is the real deal season. Like they are here and they are here to contend for the conference. 7.30 start in San Jose on Friday night. Carry me with there. Friday night, Friday night, 7.30 start here on ESPN Las Vegas, 7 o'clock with uh, Caleb and Russ Langer on the broadcast. Caleb Herring joining us here on Cofield and Company. Caleb, as you look at that stretch that you just mentioned where you've got five tough ones coming up uh, consecutively here. So I'm going to ask you the cliche question, but you're the one who's been in the locker room and you're the one who knows it. When you look at the schedule and you're a player and you look at all those games lined up in the schedule, how difficult is it to keep just San Jose State in your mind and say, okay, we really can only deal with one opponent at a time despite the fact that we know this is going to be a long month for us? You know, I think it's easier because they're winning, right? I think uh, if you were, let's say, the, the the season goal, one of the goals is probably a bowl game, right? To get to a bowl game, you're four game, you're five games in, you got four of those wins that you know f- to get to six. Uh, so you're not necessarily counting individual wins right now. You're not looking at the schedule saying, "Can we beat them?" Ah, uh, that's gonna be tough. Uh, you're not really counting wins. You're kind of there, right? You're very close, at least, to getting to your bowl eligibility status. Um, so that makes it a lot easier to not look too far ahead um, because you're just trying to stack wins. They're on a three-game winning streak right now. They're trying to push it to four. Um, and, you know, who knows, get to five before Notre Dame game with an Air Force victory as well. Um, so it's very – I think it's easy, especially when the opponent um, gives you or I guess the books give you some bulletin board material and and are giving you the slight underdog title. Um so you, you understand that going into it. So it's, it's a lot easier, I think, when you're trying to stack wins on top of each other and you feel a little bit maybe disrespected by being the underdog and a conference opponent, even though you've put together a good season to this point. Um, so it's a little easier to focus on the one. However, there is the, the, the natural tendency to peek ahead, um, to look at some of the opponents that you have, especially um, even from a coaching staff standpoint, where you know that Air Force is looming, right? And that's one of those games that you have to prepare for in a special kind of way because of the unique challenges of that triple option, um, some get back maybe on your mind because they blew you out to end last year. Uh, so that that's obviously something you could peek ahead to. And then going to Notre Dame is, is obviously every player understands the historic meaning of going to travel up there to South Bend um, and wanting to show well when it happens. But I think with where UNLV is right now as a program, that's very hard to get distracted by because you're in the midst of winning and you're enjoying winning and, you understand a little bit better during the middle of this winning streak how to focus on each opponent um, the week that you're playing them. Because uh, it's often said it's not about who you play, it's about who shows up to play. Um, and you understand that, especially with the way New Mexico went in the first quarter, um, that if you don't show up to play, anybody could take you down and and maybe become a loss on the schedule that you didn't anticipate being there. So I think that they'll, they'll find themselves locked in. Um, and like I said, the scare in New Mexico in the first quarter kind of maybe will reassure that they'll be locked in for San Jose State and only San Jose State. But there's got to be a slight peek ahead, right? Like to understand, hey, stay healthy. Uh, recovery is a big thing. Practice minutes are, are going to be more efficient and less less taxing because you, everybody understands it's a tough stretch on the schedule. You got San Jose State, obviously, this week, Air Force, Notre Dame, then San Diego State finishing off with Fresno State. That's a tough stretch of games 
um, by any standard, especially if, you know, Jake Hayner's back healthy for Fresno State. Um, th that's a tough, that's a gauntlet. Um, so you, you do maybe take a peek at it, but the business is San Jose State and the Spartans are next up. So the, the focus and the understanding in a winning locker room should be next game up is the most important one. So let's take care of business there first and then we'll move on. Caleb, as always, we appreciate it, man. Uh, safe travels up to San Jose and uh, have a great call. I appreciate it, Adam. You guys take care. It's Cofield and Company here on your Wednesday afternoon from the Finley Toyota Studios. Join Cofield and Company on Thursdays for the live 2 to 5 show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77 cent beers. It's Thursday night football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. Four games in to the season after winning the Super Bowl. It all changes. Just think of these two little moves. Just these two moves. Vaughn Miller leaves and Andrew Whitworth retires. They lose their best pass rusher and their best pass protector. And statistically this morning, the Rams have the worst sack differential in the league. Four games after winning the Super Bowl. Hanging at the Battle Born Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. You know, it's early for the Rams. Uh, Cowherd there on the way back over on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. It's early. They can fix things, maybe. I want to get to that in a second, but we got to mention sneak peek coming up for the Runner Rebels. Basketball season is about to start. This Friday, Thomas and Mac, 6 o'clock, free T-shirts to the first 1,000 fans who were there, free food for the students, and uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Football is having a good season. It's a rework roster with basketball. Sneak peek this Friday for running Rebel fans inside the Thomas and Mac Friday at 6 o'clock. So I just said, hey, there's time to fix things with the Rams. Or are we finally seeing the Rams have to pay the piper for their excess with the salary cap and the fact that they never have high picks? The Rams are a stars and scrubs team. If you've ever played fantasy and been in an auction league where someone spends like 75% of their budget on three or four players and then tries to fill in everything else with dollar guys. That's what they are. And so they don't have depth. Well, what's happened to them? Why did they get filleted on Monday Night Football? Well, they got destroyed the way they did because they had a backup center who was getting abused all game long. And when you don't have any depth, you open up massive holes. And when you have a quarterback who's going to be nursing an injury all year long, your offensive line better be able to hold up. Rams defense played fine in that game. Rams defense played well enough to win. The offense is a train wreck right now. Well, and they're, they're probably suffering the fact, from the fact that Stafford didn't get to throw a lot. He's got no chemistry with Allen Robinson. And, uh, you know, as we talked about, the offensive line, you know, the run game isn't there. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of the McVay plan anyway is to build towards the middle and the end of the season. But right now they look pretty bad. They do. And and Allen Robinson right now has a 20% catch rate. The average in the NFL is roughly 31%. Like, things are just not looking like they have any sort of rhythm between those two. Events, 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 events. We are all over the place. We just told you about the uh, Running Rebels event. Well, Ari is going to be with Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum's got a meet and greet at Finley VW Henderson. 11A. This is coming up on Saturday. Free raffle and prizes. Free food from Porta Subs, iHeart Mac and Cheese, Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers, Crumble Cookies. It's all courtesy of Westar Credit Union. Ari on the scene hanging with Aces, WNBA champion Kelsey Plum this Saturday, Finley VW Henderson. 